Hey everybody, welcome back this week as we walk through the Word together. And as we walk out this truth, we discover that life is produced in us and also in other people. We are walking with one another, growing together to see the life of Christ continue to manifest and birth in us and then to see it spread outside of the walls of our houses and our church building. I'm going to pray for us before we get started, but blessings to you. So glad you're with us tonight. Whether you're new or you've been here for a long time, just want you to know that you belong and you're welcome here. So I'm going to pray. Lord, I just pray that tonight as we look into your scripture, as we look into Luke 7, would our hearts be receptive? Would we be attentive? Would your Holy Spirit speak to us? Would you stir? Would you bring conviction where we need conviction? Would you birth hope or hope? Because hope is lacking. I just pray that you'd be working and moving. Would our hearts and minds be listening. I pray that even as, as we process last week's sermon, Lord, would we know the truth from your word, know the truth of your power and your goodness and love and also of your holiness, what you've called us into and would we have that mind of Christ and just pray that our hearts would be like yours, Lord. Would we love the way you love, fill our hearts with you. Would we see what's inside of our hearts so that we can repent of it, so we can walk in greater intimacy with you, but also so that we can love more lavishly. Thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for your mercies. We love and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. It's a privilege to get to share with you tonight. Uh, I'm, I'm building on the values. Last week, Jay talked about having the mind of Christ. Really powerful message. If you didn't hear it, you can listen to it online. But we have, we have God's word, which reveals his will. So we actually, there's very little mystery to life. We think that there's a lot of mystery, but we know God's character and his nature, and we know his plans for us. His plans are not to do us harm, but to do us good, to work all things for our good. His will, his law is to protect us and guide us and preserve us. And so we have this so that we can conform our mind more and more to become more like the image of Christ. And tonight I'm going to talk about heart of love. Um, If you don't know, my family and I were serving on the mission field until spring of this year. And I remembered, uh, remembered kind of something that happened that was a little bit awkward about two years ago. So each fall we would come back and we would visit several churches. I'd preach and we'd make our rounds and visit with supporters. And so this particular Sunday, my wife and I have four kids. I was in a city in Ohio, north of Dayton, and I had three of my kids with me. And my wife and my oldest daughter were in Roanoke, Virginia, right? So I'm in north of Dayton. She's in Roanoke, Virginia. I've just preached, you know, I have a phone on do not disturb, I walk out of the service, pull up my phone like we all do, checked it, had a message from my wife, she said, hey, hope your sermon went great, praying for you, love you so much. Also, you have our passports. See, what had happened was, she was going to fly from Roanoke to Atlanta, I was going to fly from Dayton to Atlanta, we're meeting in Atlanta, and the six of us are flying to Central America together, Right? So I realized, I started doing the math in my head. I was about 45 minutes away from where I was staying, and it was at least a seven-hour drive to get to where she was. See, I always buy the cheap seats. That's just how I am. And you can't change the cheap seats. It's unfortunate. You would think I would learn. So I've, I've got the two passports, and they're back at the house 45 minutes away, and I'm doing the math. Okay, seven hours to drive from here to them, and it's through West Virginia and the toll roads. I don't know about you, I don't care for toll roads, I don't know why this makes me grumpy that I should have to pay to drive on a public road that taxes already pay for, but I'm thinking seven hours to get there, I give them the passport, seven hours to get back, I would still get to the airport late, because they're requiring you check in early. 
it's like heavy weight in my stomach, right? So I'll go back to the, the home where we're staying with some friends, super gracious hosts, and I'm on the phone trying to get it's worked out. Airlines can't help, trying to find courier services. And my friends come in. They, they brought my son back. You see, uh, he had spent the night with them. Their son and my son are best friends. And the wife hears what's going on, and she just looks at him. She's like, oh, Adam, I'll drive it down to Kelly. This would be so much fun. And, you know, I'm like, fun? You know, but, like, for her, this, like, made perfect sense. I'll drive it. I'll get to hug Kelly. That's what she said. Well, then my, the host where I was staying, really sweet lady, she hears what's going on, and she hears Mandy who says, I'll drive it down to Kelly. And my host says, oh, I'll go too. This would be so much fun. Listen, I would love to drive and hug my wife. I love to hug my wife, but it's not fun to drive seven hours through the mountain roads, middle of the night, paying tolls, turn around, drive right back, right? I was like a little so caught off guard. It was a little disorienting, right? Because their love was completely illogical, it's hard to receive. I've already shared. Maybe I have a hard time receiving sometimes. But it was hard to receive. And as I've processed, you know, their love, I mean, this is what we're called to, just like a completely illogical love. See, our love, it can't be contingent upon anything. It can't be contingent upon someone else's faithfulness. It can't be contingent upon someone else's competencies. We've got to keep our love turned on. I'm talking about today from Luke 7, having a heart of love, illogical, radical love. But I think there's a few things we have to be aware of if we really want to love well and love deeply. As much as it pains me to say this, our personal transformation is far more important than our comfort and ease. Did you catch that? It's far more important, far more valuable And what I'm going to share is going to cause discomfort and ease tonight. But my goal is that we might love the Lord more. That we might see the depth and the width and the height of his love more clearly and be changed by it. And then pour it out lavishly on others. So tonight I'm going to read a longer passage from Luke 7. Before I read it, I just want to say a couple of things. A lot of us are doing a corporate fast here at Midtown. And we know that physical hunger comes from not eating, right? Make sure you hear this. Spiritual hunger is the opposite. Spiritual hunger comes from eating. As I, as I read from his word, it increases my hunger for his word. But when I don't spend time in the word, I can sense my spiritual hunger starting to fade and dissipate. Does that make sense? So my prayer is we read God's word. It's a longer section from Luke 7. Is that our hunger for God will grow. Our hunger for his word would grow, that we might have the mind of Christ. And before I read this, I just want to encourage you, put yourselves in the story. Think about each character. What are they thinking? What are they feeling? What are they sensing? What are they smelling? But also know that as I read this, it's, it's a different culture. It's a different context. I'm going to hit a lot of cultural aspects that we miss because we don't live in the same culture in the same time period. But one of them is in this culture, first century, Greco-Roman, Mediterranean world, honor and shame, honor was the most valuable concept or thing that existed. And so people went at all costs to try to attain honor and try to avoid shame. Okay, so here we go. This is Luke 7, verses 36 through 47. 
And when I say him, I'm referring to Jesus. One of the Pharisees asked him to meet with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is and who's touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she's wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she's not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she's anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. Now, we don't know exactly what Simon's motives were for inviting Jesus to his house. I'm going to explain why culturally it's pretty obvious that his motives weren't very pure. I'll get to that in just a second. It feels a little bit like um, he probably wants to be able to tell everybody, hey, you had Jesus at my house. It's a little bit like, you know, as a pastor, sometimes we're guilty of like, we want to quote names of people, right? Of authors, church fathers, of speakers, especially if we've ever had a conversation with them or interacted with them or, or books. It's almost like a sense of false righteousness. So that's my sense of what Simon was doing because he missed some social cues, some social etiquette. So I'm going to talk about that. But again, culturally, it's important that we grasp in this culture where Jesus is at this time in the ancient world, the people with whom you ate a meal, those were the people with whom you identified. You were showing that you had unity and harmony with those people that you identified with them. Remember all the times we're like, hey, this Jesus guy is with sinners and tax collectors. It's because he sat down and he shared a meal with them. So Jesus is sitting down and he's sharing this meal. So this is very important. There's so many cultural aspects we have to grasp. You know, when we lived in Costa Rica, it took a while to learn the culture, right? You know, for example, if you're coming to visit me, you'd stand at my gate and you yell this word, upe, which isn't even a Spanish word, but it's just what they say. And it just means, hey, I'm here. Is anybody home? And then when you go to church, first thing you do is you like go around the room and you hug every single person. And the ladies, even when they're hot and sweaty, will kiss you. And then you go back to your seat. You have a worship song. They greet you. And then you do it again. Everybody go around and greet everybody. So it takes a while to learn the culture. So culturally right here, there's something missing. You see, this again, this time and place, the culture was when you have a guest to make the guest feel honored, welcome at home, the host would put his hand on the right shoulder and give a holy kiss. And the host would then normally have a servant wash this person's feet. And the host would also give just a touch of olive oil kind of for anointing or refreshing. See, Simon, he, he knows this. 
He knows the cultural norms. He's intentionally chosen not to follow these cultural norms. Now, this is awkward. This actually creates a little bit of tension because there's a lot of people present. It's a dinner party. But also, culturally, the wealthy people, they built their homes so there's a courtyard in the middle. And when they would have these gatherings, they'd leave the doors open, and I'll call them onlookers, but people from the town could actually come and be part of it. They wouldn't necessarily partake in the food and the conversation, but they could stand at the back of the room and listen and watch. You know, we call it like, you know, party crashing, or, you know, you've maybe heard of wedding crashing, which I won't talk about that, but it's inappropriate and awkward and weird in our culture, right? In their culture, it was normal. So what I'm getting at is that a lot of people, not just Jesus and his disciples, but a lot of people see that Jesus has been slighted. He hasn't been given the honor that he's due, that he deserves as the guest of honor. He didn't get the kiss. He didn't get the oil. He didn't have his feet washed. So um, we come to verse 37 and 38. In the ESV, it says, and behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner. I don't know about you, but I, I can't remember ever using the word behold, right? Do you ever say behold? This word's communicating there's a degree of shock. It's, it's communicating that it was very unexpected that she was there. It's kind of like, a, what in the world is she doing here? And we can gather several things. This woman clearly wasn't invited to the dinner party, right? She's described as a sinner. It's most likely that she's a prostitute. We don't know what caused that. Maybe she was born illegitimately. Maybe she has suffered. Maybe she's a widow trying to survive. We don't know, and we're not here to judge. But we know that she was not invited. She wasn't welcome. Her presence is just going to add to the tension and the awkwardness. There's already a tension, right? Because everyone's aware Simon didn't follow social etiquette. So we have this woman, and we can deduce more than that she was uninvited. We can also deduce that her heart is broken and tattered and bleeding, that she has an incredible weight of shame and guilt on her shoulders. She's been spat upon. She's been mocked and ridiculed. She's pointed at, like when they're walking down the street, the moms are telling the daughters, you don't want to end up like her. Like the, the good people would just like shun her and avoid her. And the bad people would use her and abuse her. So you can imagine the self-image. She just tattered and torn. Her heart is broken and bleeding. She's one whose, whose touch it's, it's considered that her touch would bring about uncleanness. It's like she's carrying a communicable disease, and if you touch her, you're unclean. So here she is. She comes to this party. She's not invited, right? Can't imagine what she's feeling, like the nervousness, like the, this like awkwardness in her heart. There's this embarrassing, awkward silence. One, because she's there. Two, Simon's not honoring Jesus the way he should. But the thing is, is that you have to ask yourself, what is she doing there? Why is she even there? The scriptures give us a little hint. See, she had heard the message of Jesus. We don't know. Maybe she had a private conversation with Jesus. Maybe like she heard a testimony. Maybe a friend told a friend. We don't know. But what we do know is that that one encounter with either the face of Jesus or the story of the love of Jesus. 
it just took hold of her and completely set her free. The shame and the guilt that was crushing her has been lifted. I envision it like this. I envision it. She hears the news of Jesus. I don't know if it was from Jesus or from someone else. She hears the news of Jesus, and it's so incredibly good. It's so illogical that she's just disoriented. She doesn't even know what to do with it. That's how I envision it. A little bit like when my friends were like, oh, yeah, I'll just drive to Virginia for you. No problem. Be fine. It's illogical. She hears the truth, and it takes hold, and it sinks deeply into her heart. And it sets her free. The same hope exists tonight. There's something you need to be set free from. If you're walking in shame and guilt, if you're carrying a heavy burden, same invitation is, is here tonight. But when she heard that Jesus was at Simon's home, she had to go. Her heart was so filled with gratitude and so filled with joy. She had to go. She knew that when she stepped in, there's going to be even more ridicule, more mocking, more persecution. But there's this, this thing inside of her that's burning, this burning that's like, I have to give him praise. I have to communicate my gratitude and my love. But this is what should be burning inside of us. I can't be stopped. doesn't matter what people think. I have to give him praise. I have to communicate my gratitude for who he is and what he's done for me. So here she is, falls at the feet of Jesus with her ointment, and she starts weeping, right? Washing his feet. And as we know that when the tears mix with the dust on Jesus' feet, which are embarrassing and shaming for Jesus, as the tears mix, it just makes mud. Now, I'm certain she didn't actually plan on washing Jesus' feet, Here's why I say that. If she has the resources to have this like expensive ointment, she has the resources to grab a cheap towel, a cheap rag. She has them, right? And if she's thinking in advance, I have to communicate my love, and she's thinking this, then she would have grabbed something. So there she is. She's not planning on washing his feet. It just happens. And, you know, people can make themselves cry. You know, I've seen my daughter do it. She's a great actress. But you can't make yourself cry where like it's pouring so hard that you can wash someone's feet, right? So it's pouring so hard. Mud, it's nasty, it's gross. And she does something. Her hair's all matted, ugly cry. Her nose is dripping. You guys familiar with the expression ugly cry? Yeah, it's exactly what it says. You know, her nose is dripping all over Jesus' feet. He sees it as beautiful. She's crying. Her hair is matty and nappy and muddy and gross. And she's anointing Jesus' feet. And the, the Greek says it's a continuous action. She keeps kissing, keeps kissing, keeps anointing. But she needs to wipe this muddy mess off of his feet. And she didn't have a rag. So what does she do? She, she unloosens her hair, right? Again, culturally. See, there, there's a collection of Jewish laws and Jewish theology called the Talmud. And in this collection, it says that if a woman unloosens her hair in the presence of a man who is not her husband, her husband has grounds for divorce. See, culturally, again, this is considered so unacceptable. They actually consider it the equivalent of a woman exposing herself to someone who's not her husband. She doesn't care about social etiquette. She has to express love to Jesus. She's overflowing with gratitude. 
can see the love has set her free. She's embraced the forgiveness. So there she is, ugly crying. Her hair is a muddy mess because she loved Jesus. And she's one where she, again, she's in a culture that will not let her forget her shame and guilt. She's in a culture that is constantly reminding her of everything that she's done wrong. If you remember reading the scarlet letter and the A upon the chest, there's always pointing, there's always staring, there's always ridicule, but she's been set free. So this is all so far, as I've gone through this passage again, the thing's been spoken. It's just this woman anointing Jesus' feet, this beautiful act. And Jesus knows what Simon's thinking. It's not hard to figure out what Simon's thinking. Simon's thinking, this guy can't be a prophet or he would know who's touching him. And the Greek word for touching has like a sexual connotation, meaning this uncleanness of this person touching him. And he's also, of course, judging this woman. But now, if we change from making this woman the focus to make Jesus the focus of the story, here's what we get. Jesus knows what's happening, so he gives this parable. He says, Simon, suppose a a money lender lends out money. He has two people who owe money. One 500, one 50 denarii. This denarius was, was basically the, the wage for a common laborer for, for his work for one day. And he says, if both of these debts are forgiven, which one will love the money lender more? Simon says, well, obviously the one who has a larger debt. So what Jesus is getting at is he's showing us this. Both have debts that they can't pay. In the same way, we're all sinners, Romans 3, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Ephesians 2 says that we're dead in our sin. It's really powerful language. We, we can't pay our debt. We can't dig ourselves out of the grave. We're all in desperately need for Jesus, for the mercy and love and grace of Jesus, which is freely offered to us, but it's not something that we could ever earn So Jesus then compares to Simon. He's like, Simon, you didn't wash my feet. She hasn't stopped washing my feet. You didn't give me the oil. She gave me this expensive ointment. You didn't give me the kiss of welcome. She keeps kissing my feet over and over again. To this day, we we try to find ways that we think we're earning our status with God, right? We think we can do enough. Maybe it's through behavior or church attendance or whatever. We think we're good enough. It's like the scale. As long as I'm good enough. But that's not what truth says. We're sinners separated from God. And the only thing that can make us right is Jesus. The forgiveness that he offers. And he offers more than forgiveness. He offers us to have, give us his Holy Spirit. Invite us into his family. This sinful woman in Luke 7 realized she had become a daughter. She was part of the family. What I'm getting at is this. We have to see our sin to truly grasp the depth and the width and the love of Jesus. The more clearly we see it, the more clearly we're going to see the expansive nature nature of God's love. And this might sound strange, but I believe the depth and passion of our Christianity, of my personal Christianity, your personal Christianity, the depth and passion of it is going to be reflective of how clearly we see our sin. Did you catch that? I know that's not comfortable. That's not easy. But this woman in Luke 7, she saw her sin. She saw how much she'd been forgiven of. And so she loved much. 
See, Jesus goes from talking about love to forgiveness. He says, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven for she loved much. But he who's been forgiven little loves little. So we're dead in our sins. So I'm coming back. Heart of love. Again, this is the core value I want to hit home. To have hearts of love. And so again, to do this, we have to see our sinfulness. Sin, I mean, by, by all means, love is an act of the will. It requires sacrifice, intentionality, diligence, perseverance. It's not easy. But for us to truly, truly love, we have to see our sin so that we can be aware of the beauty of God's love for us. And at the same time, Receive the gift of forgiveness so that we can love him more and then love others more. Romans 5 says this, is that he loved us even while we were his enemies. Isn't that incredible? He loved us while we were his enemies. So we have to be aware of our junk. And this is messy. This is the, discomfort, this is the uncomfortable part. We have to be aware of our junk so that we can see the depth of his love, but also so that we can conform more to the image of Christ. We can't change what we're unaware of. Are you tracking with me on that? I have to know where the shortcomings are in my life, where sin is, where I need to make change patterns. See, James and Paul both invite us to become mature and complete. And so we have to have self-awareness. I'll give you a little illustration of self-awareness. These pants were given to me recently. I thought of this as I was getting dressed for church. Uh, they're secondhand, and when someone gave them to me, I, oh, cool, free pants, of course. And I grabbed them, and I checked the size, and I'm like, oh, the waist is too big, and the legs are too short. They fit perfectly. That's all I'm going to say. I was not quite as self-aware as I thought. I'm expecting my waist was like this, and my legs, somehow it's the opposite of what I thought. But we need self-awareness to change. Again, you can't change what you're not aware of. And I know this is uncomfortable. I'll say this, though. When you process the sin in your life, or even just maybe unhealthy patterns and responses, if it's not uncomfortable, there's a real significant problem. If, if you are becoming numb to your sin... And I'm telling you this with no judgment because I remember seasons in my life. But if you're becoming numb to your sin, then I'm telling you, you're spiraling to disaster. But the good news is that we always know that when we come to him asking for forgiveness, it's always like this. It's never like this. It's always so much love. It's the father and the prodigal son. He doesn't care about social etiquette. He's running to embrace and hug and kiss. There's one author I really like, and he talks about, we all have something called our shadow. And it might be like a sin pattern in our lives, but it could also be just a response. Could be unpure motives, could be like an automated response in our life because we've heard these different scripts. Here's what I mean. Maybe, and I call it lifting up the rug. We've got to look and see what's under the rug. Like someone lives this lie, they hear this script, I've got to avoid conflict. Conflict is bad. Conflict leads to harm. Well, if, if we lift that up and we look under that, oh, there's, just, there's fear. But we have to believe, we have to press into conflict to have greater health. Other examples, perfectionism. It's got to be perfect. Somewhere, I've heard this script, hey, don't you dare make a mistake. 
Don't, you're going to screw up your life. Your life will forever be second rate if you make a poor decision. Or, or outwardly, it looks like I'm just trying to do great. But really, when I lift it up, I realize, oh, man, I am so desperately trying to get your approval and your validation. What's under that? Why do I need your validation? Why do I need your approval? Maybe um, you realize it easily offended. Well, what, what's under that? You know, this week, I'll be honest, I had a couple times where my reaction, and by reaction, the best word's anger, was so disproportionate to what actually happened. I had to apologize to my wife. I had to apologize to my kids. And so I've been, I've been looking under that. I'm like, man, what was under that? Why in the world did I react so disproportionately? And it really came back to like a lack of control. I wanted things my way. Because when I can control things a little bit, it makes me feel like I've got a a measure of peace. It's really an illusion. And maybe that's part of it. Why do I need to control things? And I lift up the rug and there's fear. So what do I do with this? How do I bring this to the Lord? How do I process this? I see my need for Jesus. And as I see my need for Jesus, my my awareness of his love is even greater, but I also see it and process it and put language to it so that I can become more mature and complete. You know, just being really honest, I had a conversation with Jay a couple weeks ago and we're trying to decide something that was pretty complicated and messy. And I said, Jay, I think we need to do ABC. I'm not giving details. He's like, no, I think we need to do X, X, Y, Z. I'm like, ah, I don't know. And I... I process, well, let's see, what's under my ABC? Oh, fear. What's under J's XYZ? Oh, illogical love. I'm telling you, the depth at which we see our need for Jesus is going to be the depth at which we love Jesus. The depth at which we love Jesus is going to just empower us to love others even more. A heart of love. I invite you, what's your plan? You know, I'm not throwing stones at any churches. I, I really hate church bashing. There's one church that I really respect, and they, they published this article about themselves. They said, hey, we've, we've been growing in numbers. We've been growing in budgets. We've got these programs. We're a church that resources other churches. But we did a study, and we, we lifted up the rug. We're not actually growing spiritually at all. We thought we were. We're doing a lot. I have a lot of respect for a church that's that authentic and that real. And we all know there's times where churches outwardly, they look great with numbers and budgets and energy and buildings. But sometimes we lift it up and we find out later, oh, there's some emotional health here. There's some poor decision making. There's some patterns that really should have been addressed and pressed into, even though it's uncomfortable and it's awkward. You know, I know that when we, when we think of spiritual growth, our mind immediately goes to the fruits of the Spirit, and those are important. We have to keep in step with the Spirit, have a really high value for attentiveness to the Spirit. I believe the Holy Spirit still speaks, still moves, still heals, absolutely. But I want to say there's some, something else we need to be mindful of when we process growing spiritually, and that's an awareness of our sin and awareness of our need for Savior. I put three verses. I've got them up here. These verses are actually taken chronologically from Paul's letters. So that means the first verse comes from, it's the 
oldest. He said this one first. He says in 1 Corinthians, from the least of the apostles, an apostle is someone who saw the risen Lord, received a direct commission from him. So he's saying like, hey, you have this handful of people, this many, I'm the least. Well, then in Ephesians 3, he says, I'm the very least of all the saints. Well, this was the apostles. Now, Later, he writes this, of the saints. Well, that means all the Christians, the believers, we're called saints. Isn't that incredible? He's saying, hey, of the saints, of all these people, I'm the least. 1 Timothy 1, verse 15. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the least. Did you catch that? Of the apostles, I'm the least. Of the saints, I'm the least. Of sinners. Remember, Paul's not playing that false humility game that we play as Christians. He's inspired by the Holy Spirit. Paul is growing in his awareness of his sin. And at the same time, he's able to see more clearly, again, the depth, the width, the height, the expansive nature of the love of Jesus. That's what I invite us into. A grasping of the mind of Christ, the truth of his word, awareness of our sins and our patterns, lifting up the rug to press in deeper, to be aware so we can see his love, but also so that we can repent, so we can work on that process of maturing and completion. It's awkward, it's uncomfortable, it's messy. Christian faith was never meant to be just intellectual belief about truth and then like cold, cold obedience that's heartless. Exodus 34, this is a verse that will grab our attention. I don't have it on a slide. For you shall worship no other God for the Lord whose name is jealous is a jealous God. Remember when we speak about God in in human terms, it's so that we can grasp him and understand him, but there's nothing sinful at all. So when we think about his his power and his goodness and his love, we also have to think about his holiness. He's jealous for our hearts. TC reminded us recently in a staff meeting, when we think about our, our metric for success, it doesn't have anything to do with buildings and programs. It has to do with our hearts. Our love for the Lord, our love for others. So I just want to give you a few minutes just to pray, process, reflect, maybe lift up the rug. Think about what is it in your life you need to be aware of? What is it that you need to bring to the Lord? That you need to process, that you need to put language to. And it'll take more time than just our brief little period right now. But I want to give you just a few moments to process this. I've had several people, even tonight, before the service, just talk about how busy we are and how much hurry there is in our lives. So I'm just going to give you the gift of a minute or two just to process, what is it in my heart? How is it that I'm responding? I'll be honest, I, I was 28 years old when I realized everything I've done has been to earn my dad's approval. Ever since my dad and mom got divorced when I was five years old, I've done it to earn his approval. I was clueless. It's been my whole life. I invite you just to lift up the rug. Maybe you have some questions about Jesus. As I was reading and studying in Luke 7, I read the whole chapter. I was trying to get a grasp of context. And John the Baptist, who Jesus says, of those born of women, there's none greater. 
about that. That's incredible. And the context was John the Baptist was asking questions about Jesus. He wasn't so sure. Is it, are you really the one? Are you really the Savior? You can come to him with your questions. So I'm going to pray, Lord, I just pray we would come to you honest and real about what's in our hearts, our needs, our hurts. We'll be aware of those, those patterns and responses to just aren't honoring that we're, we're believing lies, believing false scripts. Speak your, your truth into our hearts and our minds. Thank you for your tenderness and your mercies. Would your love just take hold, would you just squeeze us and cling to us? And in response, would we be like this woman where we just have to give you praise, we have to give you gratitude, we have to express our love to you. We'll just leak out all over the place and we love everyone to come in contact with. So just, as we just spend a moment, Lord, would your Holy Spirit speak to us? Would we receive conviction as a gift because you love us and you want what's best for us? Thank you, Jesus. Would you be revealing right now? Would you be stirring? Yeah, thank you, Jesus.